Good morning. The scripture reading for today will be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12 through verse 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's glad to see everybody. Um, we've got a few folks who are out, a few folks who are uh, joining. Michael Good said, why can't, why is the video not up? And, uh, so hopefully, hopefully you're on with us now, Mike. And I'm going to flip my phone upside down because usually Michael sends me about 72 texts uh, during the course of any message on a Sunday. Uh, that's 72. That's going to be a light week, Mike. So... Going face down, because here they come. Um, hopefully you've, uh, you've had a great week. Hopefully you had the opportunity to look at some of the, uh, the passages that we left with last week. Um, as, uh, as I've been studying for this week, um, you know, generally we're in a book of the Bible, a very specific book of the Bible at the time. That's our purpose. That's kind of how we go things on purpose. So we were in Mark for you know some time. Um, now as we came out of Mark, uh, we're doing a little miniature series called Go, Grow, and Gather, which looks at what are these, these three tenets that we see in terms of how we, how we participate in the local church, how we become a part of the body. What does Scripture say about the way that we should be growing? Uh, what does Scripture say about the way that we go into the world around us and conduct ourselves? We're, we're in a world who, in, increasingly, uh, talking with someone this morning whose who's small son um, noticed that it feels like up is down and down is up. And uh, so scripture helps us know truth. Scripture never changes. That's the dedication that I wrote in my oldest son's Bible as he went off to college is read this. It won't change as the world does. The world will go crazy. The world is insane right now, right? You don't, you don't have to look very far to see how crazy things are around us, you know? It feels like the, uh, the nuts have taken over the asylum. Yet here we are. Yeah, we're... 
pressed on all sides but never crushed because we have the Word of God. We know truth, and that's encouraging. Um, There's no more sting in death. And so when people revile us, we know they reviled Christ first. Um, I love the uh, Calvin quote that says, uh, even a dog would bark if someone attacked his master. And so we want to be informed by Scripture so that we can speak for, for truth in those right times when we're given opportunity to do so as salt and light in truth and in love. So that said, we're, we're on our final third um, in, a, in gathering. And so I think oftentimes we, we don't, sometimes we just don't think about the things that we do. Often in church, that's the case. I remember talking to a missionary one time about communion. Um, and that particular missionary was like, man, I'm going into an impoverished area, and uh, I don't. there's going to be no store to go get grape juice. I mean, how do you do communion? Can you do communion with, with water? I mean, so these are the kinds of questions that you don't even think about asking until you need to do something that you've just accepted as normative for your whole life. Um, and so in terms of the way that we gather, um, we're going to be a little bit, we're going to be a bit of a, of a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, so we are going to basically read the entire Bible today, all 66 books, front to back, back to front, in looking at gathering. Um, so that said, we'll be a little, bit, uh, a little bit lighter, perhaps, than we normally are. So I would encourage you to write down some of these verses, um, because I've got a lot of these concepts that, that I've put together into fully baked ideas. And so... Um, what we'll have is several kind of constructed concepts. Um, and I encourage you to latch onto those concepts and then be, as Paul said, like Bereans, take that and compare it to the word. See where it comes from. See if it's so. Uh, scriptures encourage us to test all things. And so we should do all of those things. Um, and so that said, I want to start with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Um, and, and this particular passage here uh, is a bit of a hinge pin in what we do as a church. A lot of the language of our church is built around that. So we don't, we don't talk about this area that I'm standing. You, you'll never hear this referred to as a stage. It's a platform. It's a platform for gospel presentation. It's not a stage for performance. Um, and so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All... Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is one of those, you may have heard this for the first time, maybe you've heard this a million times. It's one of those passages that we can read through a little bit quickly, because the gravity of that doesn't really land on us. Everything that we need is inside these 66 books of Scripture. Everything. You don't need a single book off the shelf at Lifeway. You don't need to pop the Scripture mint in your mouth. You don't need the veggie tales, though they're cool. You need scripture. You need the word of God. You need to understand it. And so part of looking at gathering, we talked last week about growing. Um, and uh, 
since since Roy and Emily are here uh, this week, I did mention them last week, right, and say uh, oftentimes there are discipleship groups meeting at their house on Monday. So if you're someone who says, gosh, I just I don't know where to go in Scripture, I would encourage you to talk with them. Um, you don't have to do this on your own. The, the church is not designed to be Lone Ranger Christendom. Um, if, 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 you're, if you're a woman in the church and you're like, gosh, I want to do a Bible study, but it's all guys. That's not true. Emily's down to do Bible study. I promise you. I know that she is. And so I would encourage you to have those conversations. Because we need nothing more than this book. So as we look this morning at the gathering of the church, um, we're going to kind of take a little bit of an orderly approach, a bit of a who, what, when, where, and why kind of an approach. And so, like I said, because we'll be looking at what, how we gather as the church, what we do when we come together on a Sunday, why Sunday, right? Why not Saturday? That's the Sabbath, right? So why do we come together on Saturday? Why do we protect this time? Um, you know, I think about I think back over the over the course of my life for the last couple of decades, I don't know how many, I don't know if I'd need an extra hand, which is good because I am in the course of losing one of them, to count the number of Sundays I wasn't in church. And I don't say that to brag. I don't think that's necessarily something to brag about or not brag about. I just say that because this is where my heart is, my, my joy. This is, this is joy-filled obedience for me. I love to come here and see you all with some exceptions, like Adam Nicholas. So we're going to look at the New Testament concept of gathering and do so in a who, what, when, why, and where approach. And I hope that what you'll see is that our church attendance, our presence here at the church, is a joyful obedience. And sometimes I don't think we hear those things together. We maybe perhaps don't think about those things together. We think of uh, obedience as not joyful. But this is a joyful obedience. So let's start first with who. Who, who is it that gathers together at the church? Um, I, I would say that, that the church is for the equipping of the saints. Someone who's not a believer is, is likely to be very confused by, the, by what's going on. I mean, perhaps you've been here before. Perhaps you're here right now. You hear people singing these songs, and you're like, what are these robotic anthems? I'm not saying those words. That doesn't mean anything to me. I don't mean these things. I don't even know what word is coming next. I can't, I can't proclaim this love for Jesus. And so in a sense, the gathering, the weekly gathering of the body, the weekly gathering of the saints, the weekly gathering of the church is to equip those believers in the conforming of their mind and their continual sanctification and their understanding of Scripture to whet the appetite, really. Because I'm telling you right now, Sunday is not enough. This is, it is not enough. Like if my entire prayer life, if my entire worship, if my entire scripture reading happens on Sunday morning, it's not enough. And I don't mean not enough for salvation. I mean, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough experience of God. You're shorting yourself. You may be a believer, but you're missing out. You're missing out on a lot. And so sometimes discipline becomes important, Right? And you're thinking, oh, what a, what a old concept. No, you're disciplined. You exercise discipline in lots of areas, and you're what? You're fired, man. So you're disciplined to go to work. Now, I'm talking about a joy-filled obedience. That's a, bit of a, that's a bit of a drudgery, right? Going to work. I don't like going to work. Gosh, I'd love to be paid to hang out, you know? 
I would have no problem just hanging out. I could come out with all kinds of stuff that I could do. But work is a blessing because it keeps me from doing all those moronic things that I would likely do with my spare time. And so who is it that gathers together as the church? Primarily, it's believers. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 17 through 26, John read from, I believe, verse 12 down through probably further than 26. Maybe, did you stop right at 26? Oh, man. It's a joyful obedience. Starting in verse 18, we read, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. I mean, that right there is packed. Who arranged the members of the body? God. And in what order? His. And did he, did he sit down with you and say, hey, let's have a conversation. Uh, I want you to take a test to see where your skills are. And uh, you're an admin at work. And you take the test. And at the end of the test, it says, you are gifted administratively. And you go, whoa, that's crazy. And so now you are the church administrator. God orders all the parts of the body. And each one has an important role. When you're not around, when you're not apart, when you're not serving, the body is hurting. And a member disconnected from the body, right? I told you I'm dying from something with my hand right now. Um, It looks pretty bad. I think I was bitten by a brown recluse or something like that, right? So it's looking kind of weird. So if I just took it off and I put it in my freezer because I didn't want to deal with it, I didn't want to look at this thing anymore. It looks like I have a, a potato that's growing bad, growing off of it. If I cut it off and I put it in the freezer and you come over to the house, you didn't notice I was missing my hand, and you go to get some ice from the freezer and there's a hand in there, you'd be freaked out. Like, gross, dude, what is that? Like, oh, it's just a hand. Everybody has one. Yeah, but it's disconnected from the body. That's what's freaking me out. Believers are supposed to be connected in with the body. We're supposed to be helping it all function. God arranged those members together. And I love that illustration. We, we talked last week about how um, oftentimes Scripture uses, uh, uh, we say farming metaphors. It's an agrarian kind of a people, right? It talks about sowing and reaping, and we nod our head as though we even know what either of those two things meant, right? We have no idea what sowing and reaping is. And so the way that that analogy comes together is we do understand a human body. We understand it being made up of different parts. We understand that those parts have a role, right? I'm right-handed. One of my favorite things to do is throw left-handed, not because I'm good at it, but because I'm so bad at it, so comically bad at it. Like, it looks terrible and it feels awful. Um, It's like when uh, President Obama threw the first pitch. Or held a shotgun. The human body is something that we understand. So these members, when you, if you were to pull them apart and arrange them separated from one another, um, they're not functioning as effectively as they do when they're brought together when those members are functioning as God has designed them to be. And so our gathering is is a part of obedience. Our gathering is a part of the fulfillment of what God has put together. And when we 
gather and we're apart all of one another, we're more able to accomplish the will that God has for us in the world, in the body. Like as you come and you're struggling with an area of Scripture or you're struggling with someone else and the body comes together and works through that, right? Sometimes that's through church discipline and we hear that and we think all of the bad things. Church discipline is a long process, Right? And the beginning of it is two people coming together and having a conversation. And if those two people won't hear each other, they bring a couple of other folks in from the church. And it's a wonderful process when it works. Because that's not what the world does. The world doesn't slow down at the first sign of friction and say, hey, let's, let's mend this. The world does what Jerry Springer does. Right? Let's get these people together. Let's throw some gas on the fire and let's blow this thing up, man. I want to see these people fight. It's going to be awesome. And so... When the church comes together and fulfills all of those different roles, there's no one whose role in the church is minuscule or unimportant. You may not even know it, but your presence in the room on a Sunday may encourage someone else. Maybe because they know you're struggling through something, but you're still here. Maybe because they appreciate your smile in the room. Maybe it just makes them more joyful. I think sometimes we, we, you know, we come to church and you, you can have had the biggest screaming fight in the world, you know, the window's up, and as soon as the door shuts, everything is great. <laughs> you guys were just screaming at each other in the car, right? But when you walk in the door, the first thing somebody asks you is, hey, how's it going? And you say, great. And so the church does ministry one to another in a world that is constantly vying for its attention, pulling it away trying to break it down. So we come together as individuals who are found in Christ, that our salvation is found in Christ. As our identity takes on Christ's own identity, as God looks on us, he sees his precious son. That's those are the people who gather as the church. Now, many people are going to come to the church and gather together with us who aren't yet believers. And we pray that through his word going out, it doesn't return void, that the Holy Spirit has elected that they would be here, that the Holy Spirit has elected that they would be saved. And as they hear that word, it pierces them to the division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And they, by God's grace, receive mercy because of the obedience of his son. So what? What do we do when we're gathered, right? If Imagine this. You're, you're starting over. It's a blank slate. You're going to plant a church. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? I remember sitting down with someone. I, I don't know. I was, we were talking about the, the beginnings of the church recently. Um, I remember sitting down with someone saying, yeah, we're going to do our first public worship service. And he said, oh, cool. How are you going to do music? I was like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, how are you going to do it? I don't know, I guess somebody's going to sing it. I hadn't thought about that, right? Um, and so there's a lot of things to think about. And so what, what is it that we do when we gather? Why do we do the various things we do? Most of us, uh, as, as you know, a New Testament Christian church, often we would say that you know, we don't have an order of worship. We don't have a doxology we, we follow, except that we always come in, right? We do a time of greeting. Uh, we sing two or three songs, then we'll do some kind of a study, and then we close with two or three songs and an offering, or some people do it before. Once a month, first Sunday of the month, nine times out of ten, you're going to do uh, communion together. Um, if John was in charge of the church, on the opposing last Sunday, there would be a foot washing service. Um, there would be baptisms um, whenever you can twist someone's arm to do that. 
So how, how, what are these things? Why do we do the things that we do? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, as I said, we're going to be a mile wide, inch deep. So um, feel free to flip around, of course. Uh, it's not a sword drill. Because um, I know a lot of people have a hard time, like Adam, for example, have a hard time finding all these. Um, so 1 Corinthians 11, 18. For in the first place, when you come together as the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. So he's writing to the church at Corinth under the auspices that they meet, that they come together. And they come together even though there are issues, in spite of the fact that there are issues. That's kind of secondary. They're still going to gather together. Even though there's things that they don't agree with, they still gather together. Why? Because it's obedience. It's worship. It's for God. It's not for them. I, we, that If we were meeting together because we agree on every single issue and because we get along with each other and we think each other are great, that would be a country club. You can find those. They would love to have you. Those things are dying. This is the church. We work through issues. We stick with each other a little bit longer. And when somebody comes in, it's like, uh, I forget who made the analogy up. It's not mine, but um, they said, when we tend to find out about problems, it's not like when you walk in your house and you flip on the lights and you hear a little in there, you know, and you know, you ignore it, right? Because you don't have to deal with it. And so you keep going. And then one day you come home and the house is smoldering pile of ashes, um, at the, as the church, what we want to foster is an environment where we can talk about that little pop that was in the switch back there. Like, what, what happened? What's going on? We want to have an environment where we can freely go to a brother or a sister and tell them, I've got an issue. Or maybe it's not an interpersonal issue. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm struggling with something. Can, can, I, can I talk to you about that? And, and you then, don't give them all your great ideas. You guys, you both go to the Word together and you pray for one another. And you're not doing it because you're excited to hear about their filth and awful, deceitful heart that's wicked above all things that they can't even know. You do it because you care about them. They're your brother or your sister in Christ. And that's the environment that we want to foster. That's what we see. And you read about the church in Corinth, it's really interesting. I mean, that book starts off with every great greeting in the world, and then the entire rest of it is a, a beratement of the craziest issues. 2 Corinthians 14, 23, If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Um, I would encourage you this. If I went into a church where everyone was speaking tongues, I, as a believer, I would say that they're out of their minds. Certainly out of order. Maybe you've ever been in an environment like that. I, Never have understood how you would invite somebody to church when that's your, that's your, that's your approach. I mean, if you're, verse 23 tees this up, right? If you're talking in ways that are unintelligible, you look at verse 16, which preceded, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider, say, amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. And so there's a sense in which we should come together, we gather together as the members of the body, whether there's issues between us or rubs or annoyances, or we just don't like the way somebody crinkles a water bottle when they're done with it, or pops their communion cup, or rides their little scooter around on one knee.
who still gather? How is the outsider supposed to be engaged with their whole mind if you're just babbling? That's Romans 12.2 talks about the, the engaged mind is part of this. It's not You don't check out and babble and roll around and do some kind of a holy laughter or speak in verbs and words that don't mean anything at all and mumble and they all sound like the same backwards phrase over and over. You don't hit people with coats and heal them. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we're singing and we're praying with, with clarity. With clarity. The whole mind is engaged. As we're singing, we should, you know, if you're, if you're like, oh, I don't really even know this song, or I don't know what word is coming up yet, I don't know what I'll be affirming. Hold back. That's fine. Be worshipful. We want to be engaged with our whole mind, not just moving about sheepishly, not thinking about things. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Timothy was encouraged to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with complete patience. Sometimes that's the tricky part. And teaching. And so that's part of the way that the church gathers. This is important. And, and I, you know, I just live in our day, just like you do, right? So I'm sure this has always been true. I don't think it's such a new thing. Like the world has always been pretty insane. I mean, they used to hang people on crosses. So we, we kind of pretend like things are bad now, but it's just always been bad. Right? There's a very real enemy. There's wars and principalities and all kinds of things that are going on that we don't see or experience or want to. I just trust God with all of those things. However, the preached word is to be ready in and out of season. It's to be able to reprove, rebuke, and extort. It's not funny stories. It's not a life talk. We don't do it from a cool table or a neat chair from the seated position. A lot of the things that we do are to uphold the way that the word presents that the church should run, that the church should operate. The church should be able to call out error in the world around it. The church should be able to recognize it from the authority of Scripture. Not because I don't like things. Who cares what I like? Who cares what John Nicholas likes? The guy's a curmudgeon. He hardly likes anything. What does the word say? When we compare what the world is doing to what the word says, that's where truth happens. Not by the words of men and women. We want to know what God has revealed. And so we open with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 that said that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, bless you, for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So the preached word is very important. We put a lot into it and even into training it. Training people to be able to study the Word on their own, not rely on someone else. It's important. 
and even more as the day draws near. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, kind of picking up mid-thought here, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, I talked to somebody, a, a leader at a university recently, who said, uh, but I can, I can ride my bicycle and enjoy sermons. Okay, I can ride my bicycle and enjoy a popsicle. That doesn't mean that this is the whole and sum of our Christian experience. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Can you obey your leaders and submit to them with your headphones and bicycle? I don't think you can. I love to read nonfiction. I'm not sure if that makes me boring. Um, when I read fiction, the problem is everything else in my life just goes away, right? Uh, I have a, a pretty terrible appetite for things. I'm usually all in or all out. Um, so if you ever watched me eat when I wasn't on my best behavior, you know, Brianna's telling me, dude, you have food all over your face. That's how I approach fiction, too. Um, I remember getting in trouble at one point in the Army. We were on a, some kind of a field problem or something, and the Harry Potter books were just coming out. And I read one, like, in a 24-hour period. I just read it. And I completely neglected my job, a pretty important job. So I try not to get pulled into those things, but I like nonfiction because it teaches me how to do something or how to improve something. And so I remember that 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that Scripture teaches me how to know God, how to know His will, how to know His nature, how to know His gospel. And so um, Brianna and most of the kids, except for Tatum, are out of town. So what that means in my house is it's time to watch shoot 'em up movies. So I was watching one where... Um, there, like Morgan Freeman was the president, and these drones were attacking him in the hundreds. It was, it was a pretty good one. Um, and so there's, it's so funny because I was watching these helicopter scenes, you know, and I'm just like, this is not the way that people behave around helicopters that want to keep their head. But then I was thinking about, well, how, you know, how do you learn these things? You know, you learn to approach the rotor of a helicopter differently. If I, so if I told you, hey, we're going to go onto the roof of this building, we're going to hop onto a helicopter, and in 30 minutes we're going to be in a very dangerous place, and the only way to get down from this helicopter is with a rope. And by the way, here is the manual on how to fast rope out of a helicopter. We're doing it in 30 minutes. You're going to open that manual up and read that thing with such detail and clarity, I promise you, when those situations come and there's something to read that's going to help you survive that thing, when you start hearing about how this kind of thing works, when you start reading about someone getting hung on a line and how they work through that, you read, you dig in even deeper. The Word should be like that for us. This is everything that we need to know in this life is in these 66 books. And some people can't have it. And you probably have four or five of them. If you're like me, you lose one, and it takes like a month to even realize that you lost it. Not because I'm not reading them, just because they're sitting everywhere, right? Every station in my life has one. So everywhere I go around this church, I probably got 19 Bibles just laying around here. There's nowhere I can go and not have one almost. 
So we should desire to approach this in that same sense. This is a living word. That's how it describes itself. So if you did a Bible read through the year, great. There's still more, I promise you. Every time you open it and you study it, right? It's not that it means anything different. There's all kinds of different applications to it, though, depending on what's going on in your life, what's going on around the world. You'll notice all kinds of things. And I promise if you discipline yourself to do kind of a daily reading, and especially if you talk to people around you about it, you will find that it comes up in your life. Whether it comes up in a personal way, it kind of comes up in conversation. It's just something about keeping something front of mind keeps it front of mind. And so we gather as a people worshipfully approaching God through the preached word and mutual study in Scripture. Like I said, we, we almost always, 90-some percent of the time, are studying a book of the Bible. Um, John is going to teach Second John, Third John, and then we'll go into Malachi and we'll be there for a bit. Malachi is one of my favorite types of book to be in at a time because you can actually read it every week in addition to studying the small sections. It's really not a very hard read. And so as we're all in the same place in Scripture at a time, studying from something on a Sunday, that should flow out through the conversations that we have throughout the week. And that's very powerful. Um, that's, that's In the past, we've had home groups, and those home groups meet and talk about what happened on Sunday, what, and, and all kinds of interesting conversations come up about how is this playing out in your life? What are you hearing? What is the, what, how is this connecting with your life? And you get the benefit of hearing from others and what God is doing. It's very encouraging. And so it should be almost like a fuel for conversations throughout the week. Everyone in the church is in the same place. Um, there's a guy whose name was... Uh, Robert Murray McShane. McShane is a name that's not possible to spell. He um, put together a Bible reading plan because he wanted, like, wanted the whole church to be in the same place in their own personal reading throughout the week. And so, um, you're, you know, you, you can imagine if the whole of the church were doing that, if we did what we do on Sundays and we study and everyone is reading from the McShane plan, everybody is in the Psalms and the Proverbs, everybody is reading the Old Testament twice in a year, everybody has read the entire Bible every year, you start to see things in seasons. Oh, I remember last fall when I read this when I was here. Or I remember uh, March when I, when I tried to survive through Chronicles. But certainly... What we study on Sunday should impact our lives throughout the week. That's part of the reason that we gather. It keeps it front of mind. It stops us from drifting. It's like driving. Remember my mom would tell me when I was a kid that, you know, you kind of towards, you tend to drift at what you're looking at, right? So if you're driving and headlights are coming straight at you on the other side and you can't see because everyone has these new amazing headlights that can shine straight through physical objects because everyone needs the brightest headlights on planet Earth. You don't look at them. You can tend to drift towards them, right? You look towards the, the line on the side of the road. And so our lives can be like that too. When we're not participating in the various things in the church, we just drift. We go different places because we're not thinking about it. And it's not that we just want to be more moral people so that God will love us. God loves us in Christ. And we don't change that. Nothing in this life, including ourselves, can change that if we're found in Christ. We don't want to drift away from God because we don't want to drift away from God. 
or his, or his children. We want to abide was the old word. We want to abide in him. We want to spend time with him. We want to pray to him. When we have conversations with our friends, when people come over to the house, we want scripture to come up. We want God and his grace and mercy and love for us to come up. That's the Christian life. So when do we worship? We worship on Sunday because that's when churches are open. <laughs> but again, you're going to plan a church, it's a blank slate. When do you worship? We did Saturday nights for a while um, because I was traveling a lot on Sundays, frankly. That's why we did it. But also, we had cheaper access to rental locations. <laughs> yeah, I told you my son, uh, when he was smaller, obviously, he got his neck stuck in one of those turnstile machines at the Friendship Center. You know, they only go one way. And I'm going to tell you right now, if people don't know where that key is, it's very difficult to get free your child's neck. And there will always be somebody in the background going, I told him not to do that. You're like, thank you. It's helpful. And so while in that situation, hanging on with everyone coming up and touching it and bringing it one click tighter, you know, at some point you're like, hey, please don't touch it, right? <laughs> Every time somebody touches it, it gets tighter on the little guy's throat. Um, I remember after that situation at the Friendship Center, as soon as that was over, the guy said to us, hey, you know, we're looking to rent this space out to a church. And I said, well, that's crazy. Because uh, we're looking for a space to rent. Patrick remembers that. And uh, our church operated out of what we called the AMBO for a period. It was a physical ambulance with a ramp on the side and everything in the church packed into a little box of wheels and we push it onto this ambulance. Crazy times. But we worship on Sunday generally because our nation is set up to do that. Right? That's kind of the rhythm that folks have. It used to be that you know kids wouldn't have sports on Sundays. Everything was very oriented towards having that time on Sunday be guarded. That's changing a little bit, but not every nation is like that. Um, if you go to Qatar, Sunday's a work day. Somalia, Sunday's a work day. Israel, Sunday's a work day. And so on. And so the early church was differentiated as they would gather together on the first day of the week. We see in Acts chapter 20, in verse 7. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, bringing about the church, bringing about a new priesthood. He didn't come to destroy the law. He satisfied it completely. And so the book of Hebrews, which is facing towards the nation of Israel, explaining this kind of New Testament approach to the world fulfillment of Christ, in chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, says, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. And so, is Sunday an ordinance? No. But sun, there is a purpose for our worship on Sunday. It's not just a random day out of the hat. So why? Why do we gather together? Can't I just log in from home? Sure. Can't I just go to bunch of different places? Can't I just go any number of places? Sure, absolutely. Why we go 
is part of the joyful obedience. Hebrews said, we saw in the book of Hebrews, it says that we're not to neglect, and especially as the end draws near, something must be happening in the end that makes it important to come together, to be instructed, to be encouraged. And so we want to be surrounded by weekly participation in singing together. Praise, singing, lifting our voices together in a room with people where we're, we're singing these things that, frankly, for someone who's not a believer, are odd. To sing these songs are weird. Being surrounded by other believers, hearing the Word, dividing the Word to see what has God said. Not to say, is there a funny story in here that we can laugh about? To say, what has God revealed about Himself, about this world, about this life? What has he revealed about his son? You know, when, 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 when Jesus is in this midpoint between his resurrection and his ascension, walking along on a road, he kind of disguises himself. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, so you hear me talk about this a lot. But Jesus is walking along with these people. They don't know it's Jesus. And, you know, they kind of smartly say to him, well, what are you, the only person that doesn't know what just happened? And so when they're reflecting back on that, they say, when he opened up the Scriptures and taught to us, didn't our hearts burn within us? Now, obviously, Jesus is a very good teacher, but the source material is the same. Their hearts burned within them at the teaching of this. Left of Matthew, if you think about the time frame. Remember what I said, if you're sitting on the, if you're insane enough to get onto a helicopter with me, and you're sitting in the seat next to you, sitting in the seat next to me, and I hand you a manual. I say, we're going to throw this bundled up rope in a minute, and we're going to slide down it, and this tells you how to do it. You're going to open this thing up and look a lot. We should be encouraged. We want to approach the word like that. Our hearts burn, their hearts burn within them as Jesus taught from it. It's not dry. I promise you, it's not dry. John eight thirty six gives us encouragement that we're, we're, so, we're so free in Christ. I think sometimes things can be presented in a little bit of a dry way. We feel so bound up and so like we can't escape. But the truth is, when we see the truth of who God is, when we see the truth of what His law is, when we see the truth of what our heart is before a holy God, obedience is freedom. It's, it's the real freedom. The original sin in the garden was to get them to think that there's something that they really want to do that God doesn't want them to do because he's hiding something from them and to not trust his word. That's what happened in the garden, right? Somebody comes down to Eve and says, did God really say, doubting the word, did he really say that you can't eat that? Look around, it's clearly obvious to anybody who's thinking that it's okay to do that. So much, so much sin, so much in the world today is exactly like that. Look around. Isn't it obvious to you that what God said is old and dusty and what I'm telling you is advanced and new? You can almost hear the hiss on the S's in those kinds of statements. Did God really say? Jesus was the Word become flesh, dwelled among us, And so, as the believers of the church, as members of his bride, 
the church, we carry in our body his death and resurrection. So it's symbolized by our baptisms, right? That we die to sin and we come up out of the water, washed clean in Christ, raised to a new life. I want to leave you with this as almost yelling over the sound of whirring rotors. Spend time this week circling back on the passages that we just so quickly touched on. And I, I, I talked just briefly about fellowship from a distance, fellowship online being a little, a little less than God's best, less than what God's calling us to. And so as we go through 2nd and 3rd John, I think Pastor John Nicholas will point that out in those books as well, that there's just something about the getting together. Right? And if you're in one of those things where, you know, not everybody works in an office, and I get that, but if you're in one of those things where um, you used to work in an office or you used to see people in person, and it's been so long maybe since you've done that, it's been so long since we've done that, right? People tried, people tried to have these kinds of uh, secondary meetups, right, over Zoom where everybody's sitting there looking at their little faces. And then after about a year and a half of that, as everybody's gotten back together, you would think these are the best people on earth because you finally get to see other creatures, right? It's, we don't even realize how less than all this is. There's something more about gathering together in person. The Christian life requires presence in order to really bear one another's burdens. We're called to that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25, to bear one another's burdens, to care for each other in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, to teach each other in Colossians 3, 16. How many college students and parents are angry right now that they should have just sent their kids to the University of Phoenix, the Harvard of the internet? I heard so many stories where uh, university professors were trying to tell the kids that they were just going to uh, teach remotely. And the university is writing back and saying, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to find a way. We're going to do this in person because it's less than a part. We're supposed to show hospitality towards one another. First Peter 4.9 says, that's why uh, Pastor uh, John Nicholas is, is our hospitality center for the whole, the whole church. He'd love nothing more than to have you in his home as would Tammy. Love it. We're to bear one another's burdens, says in Galatians 6.2. Isn't that beautiful? These one another's? All of these things that we do together as believers? So I'm going to leave you with those. That's five, I'm looking quickly, five verses. Pray about those this week. Spend some time with those one another passages this week and really think about it. And here's another thing that I would love for us to do. Um, as we close, we don't have a doxology, but something tells me we're going to do two songs with the time of offering in the middle, and then it'll stop. Music will play from the Spotify playlist, and we'll start to filter out. Before you filter out, and before you talk to someone that you talk to every Sunday, think about who's a, a different face that you haven't talked with 
and think about these one another's. Try to connect with someone that maybe you've not talked to before. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your church. It's such a gift. Um, I pray that we wouldn't squander that gift. But God, that we would revel in it, that we would enjoy it, that we would love it. We would love that we get to participate in your church, that we get to be one of the many members. And God, probably some of us don't even understand maybe what our giftings are. God, I pray that you would encourage those people that you have gifted them, that you have put them where they are, that you have plugged them in, and that they even have a purpose that they may be fulfilling without even fully knowing it. God, I pray if anyone doesn't know your son as Savior, that you would call them and woo them and show them the truth of your gospel, that your calling isn't and never has been to be better, get better, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but that it's always been to see that you're failed, you're a flawed creature, that you're broken, that you're separated from God. And that that is okay. There is none that is without sin, not one. None that is righteous on their own. And so I pray for that person that they would see the perfection of Christ, who is the Christ, the Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, who came for the purpose of living in all ways, tested like us, just without sin, so that death would have no grip on him, so that he could then be our Savior that our sins would be placed on him and God would remove the legal penalty for sinning against him on Jesus's obedience. And then that, that they, upon accepting that, would become free, free of guilt, free to worship, free to move about this life as a child of you. And so God, then that you would encourage us to gather together, to grow together, and then to go into the world that's watching us to see why we're different. To live as worshipers, to live as Jesus' own presence, the bride on this earth, so that many would come to know him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen.